have seen video games and virtual worlds and metaverses like as a liberation from the tyranny of the physical, where um, you know if you know if your life sucks, okay, you can go into another space and things are wonderful. And I think we we're, we're kind of making that less likely. That's basically all I'm saying. Hello there, listener, and welcome to the 29th Roundtable episode of the Metacast. This is the first episode after New Year's, so with this, I want to have, wish you a fantastic 2022. My name is Nico, I'm your host today, and today I'm joined by Fozi Itani, Florian Ziegler, and Ryan Foe. And yeah, let's, um, let's first, before we dive in, so this is going to be a relatively special episode. So in this episode, instead of having like three topics we're going to be talking about, we are doing a bit of a 2021 in review. So first, quickly, the Metacost review, what were our top episodes, uh, etc. So that's stuff I'd like to share with you. And then afterwards, um, we're going through our learnings from 2021. So Ryan, Fozzi and Florian are going to share, and me maybe, uh, what we learned during the year, uh, what our biggest takeaways, takeaways were and uh, how we can use those moving forward. But before that, um, there's some new voices on the roundtable. I believe that Ryan and Fozzy have never been here yet, so let's do some quick intros first. Uh, Fozzy, let's, uh, let's do it. Hey everyone, so excited to be here and longtime listener. Uh, my name's Fozzy, I'm an investor by day at Forerunner Ventures. It's an early stage consumer firm. And by night, I help lead efforts at Novik for written content. Excited to be here. Awesome. Super welcome to the pod, man. Um, Ryan. Hi, thanks for welcoming me to the podcast. Um, I'm Ryan, and I'm currently in the gaming team looking at investments and also sort of in-house consulting at Delphi Digital, which is a digital assets research firm. Yeah, so really keen to you know, kind of explore the intersection of looking at new kind of business models in video games. Yeah, I think it's one, one interesting way of putting it. Yeah. That's that's a good definition without using the word blockchain or crypto. like it. <laughs> there you go. And then next uh, up, we have Florian, which many of you, if you're a listener, already know, but still, Florian, tell us a bit more about yourself, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nika, as always. Um, always a pleasure. Um, yeah, like, lifelong game designer now, sort of moving into... Um, working on a gamified social network um, for video games that aims to be the gateway to the metaverse and NFT world. Nice. That's really cool. And I think, uh, yeah, that, that, that stuff has potential. Cool. All right, let's dive in then. Um, yeah, first, Metacost year in review. So in the last year, we published 42 episodes since May. And in May, we had 500 listeners. And in December, we had 6,000. So we're a little bit more than 6,000. So we had a nice growth and uh, very proud of that. And all of you listeners, thank you so much for uh, for being part of our community. Our top three episodes were, on number three, we had the interview with Michael Wagner, who's the CEO of Star Atlas. Um, our top two episodes or second best episode was our crypto corner on sustainable play to earn economies where our friend ryan yeah he was part of that that was a fun one and our number one episode was the axie infinity review our deep dive into axie infinity where we um were relatively critical and it might have been very popular because there's still a lot of you know nft haters out there who were like oh yes 
this confirms what I've been saying all along. I knew it. Um, anyway, so those were our top three episodes. You see that there's kind of a crypto angle there, um, which might be also my my <laughs> my wrongdoing <laughs> because that stuff is is um, is what we uh, yeah, what would interest me. Anyway, so for 2022, we plan on providing you the best of the best gaming content as we've tried in 2021, um, but. We do need a bit of help with that. So as you might know, I'm personally working as an investor at Bitcraft, uh, a gaming VC, and I focus on blockchain and games. And I found it hard to find like a healthy balance in everything. Um, so investing and, and podcasting and also got to spend some quality time with my wife as well. Um, and so the as at Navic, we're looking for someone who is interested in um, hosting these roundtable episodes from time to time. So help me out a little bit there, like one in every two weeks or something, or even every week if, if you really like it. So if you like games and you like talking about games and you think hosting these can't be that hard, which it really is not. I mean, you just let people that are way smarter than you do all the talking. Um, yeah, please do get in touch. Uh, I would appreciate it. And uh, it'd be fun to have someone to work uh, on this with. And then also, if you have any suggestions on how we can, you know, the medicals can be better in the future, uh, feel free, I mean, to let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to do that, where can you find us? You can join us on Discord uh, and you can find a Discord link and all that stuff on the Navic.co website or you can email us, email us at medicals at Navic.co. With that said, let's dive into learnings of 2021. Um, it was... I mean, if, if I would have to describe how crazy of a year 2021 was on a scale to 1 to 10, um, maybe let's ask it to you guys. Ryan, what would you say? 1 to 10. Oh, like 9.5, eh? But, you know, it's every year has just been crazier. So yeah. 2021 is meteoric, though, <laughs> I'll say. And, you know, I'm going to skew towards... <laughs> yeah. Recency bias. How about you, Fozy? I'll give it a 9 out of 10. I'd say... Every year that I've sort of been analyzing the games industry, it feels like something big and monumental is happening, and I'm excited to see what that might be in 2022. Awesome. How about you, Florian? Um, seven out of ten. <laughs> um, partially because, like, I I think I um a lot of things that we talk about that are like like novel and sort of cutting edge. Um, I, I guess from a ground view perspective, so when I look at through a designer's lens, are very often like not that much making a difference. So like a lot of money is shifted around, but for like video games as a fun product, um, maybe not as eventful as it could be. But I, I have hopes for the for the next two years for sure that there's gonna be on that front, there's gonna be more happening. I think that's a really, really good point because you know, I, I think about it a lot from the consumer lens, you know, 2018, 2019, we had Fortnite, 2020 was the pandemic, 2021 it was a big narrative around blockchain games, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot more that happened, but from the consumer perspective, there feels to be a lot more interest in games, a lot more like playing games and a lot more like social connection through games. And I think that's a really important and fundamental shift that the narrative and culture around games has also changed. But I didn't think about it from the designer perspective. Um, so I, I do appreciate that lens. And maybe Ryan has some differing thoughts given all the narrative around blockchain games. But, you know, I do feel like there's a lot of uh, changes yet to come. All right, let's um, let's get into our learnings a little bit. Maybe Florian, um, you can kick this off. I know you learned a lot about uh, Mexico, I believe. You've spent some, some time there. Uh, 
what were your takeaways from from that experience? So you you took some time off, um, or or at least you left Berlin to go to the sun and uh, and worked a bit from there. How was that? Yeah, I mean those are not the learnings I thought I kind of be talking about in the podcast, but okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean like I, I didn't actually take time off, so I've always been kind of nomadic. Uh, yeah, I'm like an, an old backpacker guy. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, Mexico was just getting getting out in the sun and out of the gray here in, in Berlin. I, I do have one interesting learning though that maybe f- for our listeners is actually interesting. And that is that um, digital nomading really isn't like traveling in the sense that, you know, all the really cool spots you can't go to because they don't have good internet. Um, so where before I was used to like, oh, you know, I go to like all these remote places and have like little islands for myself and all that kind of stuff suddenly you can't do and then you're stuck in places that are like playa del carmen which is basically a shopping street with a tiny beach uh, so yeah I, I really recommend if, you, if you're going to do that thing planning your expectations accordingly that you can't you can't have this like holiday like experience where you can sit on a beach with your laptop and just uh, work because you actually have to have good internet and you're like tied to these places that actually offer that um so that that's my learning from that experience <laughs> <laughs> All right, and more broadly, for the, from the gaming space, what was one of uh, one of the big takeaways for you? So, so I think a really interesting thing uh, that, that Foley just said, like, oh, from a consumer's consumer perspective, like a lot of has changed in the culture and that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think that's kind of true on sort of a pop cultural level. I think you know, where games are getting more becoming just more of a mainstream experience and 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 no longer part of this like kind of niche identity. But what actually fascinated me last year was um, because I deal with a lot of, um, you know, uh, private investors in blockchain games um, and they're gamers. They love games um, and they have a lot of money. But it made me realize that a lot of people, even those who really love games, don't actually know how games are made. So I talked to all these people who... um, who putting you know hundreds of thousands of or maybe millions of dollars into games, but they don't actually understand how this is made. And this has actually been quite interesting because I think for say books or, or films or music, people have a very clear idea of uh, what the process involves, and maybe they even feel they undertake it themselves. You know, they might know about famous directors or which kind of actors are an ass on set or, or that kind of stuff, or they like might go and do a novel. Um, but with games, I found a lot of them, they're like, hey, yeah, I'm investing, you know, X amount of thousands into an MMORPG. And I'm, uh, you know, and they're like, hey, do you want to look at this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, this is not a, like, this is not a game. And also, this is one of the hardest game types to do. And they habitually fail. And, you know, and, I, and they're like, what? No, it's really, it's like, it's really easy. Like, they have all these, like, nice pictures and there's, like, great videos. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but they, they yeah. don't have a game. They don't have, a, and that's been actually one of my big learnings. Well, like, we have all these, this money pouring into games that is, not well informed about what they're actually getting themselves into. Yeah. Well, what it takes to kind of make a, a game kind of like the the way they were supposed to be made, right? And and I think there's also, you know, the fact that they are very uninformed, but also really passionate and really excited about, you know, kind of getting into it and spending time in it. And I think, you know, in 2021, I felt like um, the biggest learning I had was the sheer amount of time people were spending in these communities, in discords, just like chatting with others. And the kind of, you know, I mean, investor parlance would be like alpha, right? You get from chatting with folks in these discords. But I think even, you know, as an individual who doesn't have any sort of, sort of background or affiliation, just showing up and sort of talking to people, 
sharing ideas. I met so many interesting folks in Discords, and that's something that you know I wasn't doing very much before 2021. I mean, it started with NFTs and buying all of these kind of assets online, but uh, yeah, I think it's been involved from there and then moving into games, like even conversations around how games are built. Like there's a crypto game design Discord, for example, that pretty interesting as well to kind of take part in. Yeah, so that's one part. But yeah, that's that's an interesting challenge you raised, uh, Florian, on kind of speaking to these private investors and um, having this sort of different approach towards um, games being built, you know, in 2021. And definitely like keen to explore that as well. How do you guys, because one of the things I realized during this year is that I feel like the, the definition of a game is broadening. Um, and I feel like a lot of crypto games specifically, they treat like whatever happens in the Discord as like version one of their game, right? Get whitelisted, um, you know, get, get, you know, be able to get the, the first NFT airdrop or, or stuff like that. Um, and I would say that games like, for example, Wolf Game, which I would like, uh, Florian, so you're, you're, you know Wolf Game, would you consider that a game? Um, which game this was? <laughs> a wolf game. So it's it's a game where yeah maybe Ryan you you can give a, a quick a uh, wolf summary. game is is a is a game that operates purely on chain right and the idea is that at inception of the game you can enter and you could have minted a sheep or a wolf it's kind of random right and whenever once the first wolf has kind of entered into the game then it introduces an element of risk I would say it, it is a game in the sense of game theory. But it's not in the game in the sense of game design, right? It's kind of like an economic experiment, at least in the V1.0. And, you know, you can almost see this experiment in behavioral economics. So like loss aversion and such, right? But I think, you know, the idea is that a lot of these kind of, you know, developers are coming in and, and developing these kind of game experiences. But they don't come with a sort of traditional understanding of game design. They don't they understand like different game design concepts, like, you know, different lenses in which they can apply, like, for example, right? Um, and they just kind of come into it with a, with a state, open state, right? So a lot, a lot of times it can morph into many different directions and they're influenced more as these kind of hardcore gamers of folks who you know, have a, a gaming vocabulary but not a game design vocabulary. And then, you know, you kind of lead to really interesting kind of innovations from there. Yeah, but definitely a lot of them will, you know, go on to not perform as well as they could have because games as, you know... Um, Jesse Schroer might, might have said in Press Reset, uh, notoriously difficult industry to kind of succeed in. Even the most talented game designers can fail in their games. So there's no reason to say that Web3 games will look any different. So I think if you really want to call it a game, it should be have an intrinsic motivation for you to partake. So I, I think as soon as you're in a space where your motivation is financial, um, you're kind of working. You're not playing a game <laughs> in a way. Um, which is why a lot of these kind of gamified investments have popped up. They're not really games in the sense that, hey, we're, we're trying to make a fun experience that you just take up because you just need some entertainment or because you want to you know, escape. But you're actually going like, hey, this is, a, <laughs> this is a Ponzi scheme, for example, but we make it look like a game. So there's been quite a, a few of these out there. So for me personally, you know, to call it a game, I would say like, hey, you, know, you, know, you need to be sort of intrinsic in why you want to do it. One of the trends that I've been following a little bit is how consumer in investors, I'll name like Index Ventures as one example, they invested in Dream Games, Rec Room, Supercell in the past, and how these types of firms are starting to 
get more into games and how ostensibly they do not have a games background. But I think that's okay because I think that even if you aren't creating a game and you don't have the game design mechanics, you are ultimately creating some sort of consumer experience. And there needs to be some sort of institutional knowledge around, you know, branding or user acquisition that game studios and investors necessarily know about, but could use an extra perspective on. And I think that's very interesting. And I think that when I think about my learnings, one of the uh, most interesting themes is how indie dev teams and smaller game development teams are creating these hit games and that they don't necessarily need venture funding. I'm thinking Rust or Among Us or Valheim, even now Wolf Game and uh, Chain Faces or whatever that game is called. But the, the barriers to creating games or game consumer experiences have drastically been lowered and drastically been changed. You know, you can introduce a social component and suddenly the game blows up or you can fork a game and you basically create the same game, but brand it differently. And a lot of people come, even if it's short lived. And I find that to be very interesting. And I wonder what 2022 mm. is going to bring on that front. Yeah, that's an interesting take. It's like kind of shows that you don't necessarily need to build like a triple A experience to have a successful game, right? It could, be, it could come from anywhere. Totally. One of my favorite games right now is actually Wordle. Have you guys seen that pop up on Twitter? It's it's basically just a word game where you have six tries to guess the five letter word. And there's a new word every single day. And people can share how many attempts they took to get that word correct. There's nothing like very uh, intuitive or like innovative about the game. It's just fun. And like people can share their attempts. You don't know what the word is, but suddenly like people know what Wordle is. That's interesting. Yeah. Ryan. And here are my uh, personal personal learnings of 2021. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of like big sappy ones and I've got a lot of like big grandiose ones as well um, about, about g- games. Yeah. So um, on the personal side, uh, I, I, I guess, you know, um, 2021 was kind of a really, I, I experienced a lot of things in 2021, right? Um, so I finished my computer science degree. Wow, right? Surprise. So I finished my computer science degree, uh, you know, worked at worked at a games company in SF and afterwards like um had time I think, you know, just going through and realizing like, oh, you know, I don't have to kinda subject myself to a, a career that I don't, you know, enjoy. Like if I'm not excited about it, right? I can just kinda spend all my time thinking about stuff that energizes me. And gets me going in the morning and through the evening up till twelve fifty six a.m. and it's gonna be great. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fine. Yeah, and we'll do. We're gonna make it. <laughs> so that's kind of how my own personal learning, like that. I don't have to feel like it's a grind. It's quite nice. Um, sometimes it will be right, mm-hmm. but then most of the time mm-hmm. it's like pretty energizing. So that's one of my big personal learnings. Yeah, and then um, the second thing is, I think just like riffing off of what Palsy um talked about, like having these kind of different ways that games can now be created. Because I think, you know, my first kind of engagement with Fozzie was, uh, and, you know, the pause button was as a reader. And we were sort of talking about this before the podcast. And I remember 
kind of reading like about the, the post they were making about like Archero and like how it's like you know revolutionizing like <laughs> yeah I know right it's 2019 what's up <laughs> yeah yeah show back and it was like oh my gosh it's like you know revolutionizing this creating this new category of games and such and I remember the hyper casual wave right and I also remember like working with like with like Voodoo and feeling like oh well d1 d7 cpi stuff and it was like super strange to work with it's like is this the kind of way like you know a one person two person group of people will begin making games because i think you know all the little games we would make it's very hard to kind of get reach on those things right as an amateur and if you don't have time it's like and you don't have like the time to you know go and join a company like ubisoft or like you know fly over to like sf to, to join a games company or la then you know, you're just kind of, well, you're just not not in the industry and not part of the the community, you know, of, of like people who make games, right? And I think like that that has like drastically, my frame on that has drastically changed in 2021 just because as Paul was mentioning, like it feels like, you know, you can be a part of it, right? Because there's a new shift again. Yeah, so that, that was kind of exciting for me and like covering that shift was really interesting for me too. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Um, Florian? Um, I, I, I do and I... Uh, I, I think it's slightly societal because um, I actually quite like how games is like, you know, becoming more and more connected with society as a whole and how, uh, oh, oh God, I'm going to, I'm going to use this word, <laughs> but like uh, where it sort of becomes some sort of like singularity where like the, the metaverse stuff and games and all that kind of stuff, you know, in our reality slowly, starts slowly merging into one thing. And my big learning from last year is I guess I was very optimistic in the same way that, you know, people were probably super optimistic about how the internet worked or how blockchain will, will liberate everybody. I kind of thought, you know, I imagined sorry, the metaverses and all that kind of stuff to be like an old school science fiction novels, you know, like William Gibson, that kind of stuff where like, there is like anarchist space where like all the crazy stuff happens and like, you know, it's, it's free and it's like, you know, um, sort of like this big explorative space. And I think last year has kind of shown to me that, you know, there's the walled garden is strong. <laughs> um, and that, you know, we all the stuff that is unpleasant in the real world, we actually you know trying to reproduce in these artificial worlds, you know, where, where we actually kind of go and, you know, where games, for example, are supposed to liberate you from things like how much rent do I have to pay to going like straight into like, hey, you know, if you already have money in the real world, you can buy a stake of fictional land and then, you know, have your serfs till it for the rest of their life. Um, <laughs> yeah, not crazy about that. Not crazy about that. Labor economy. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I mean, obviously I understand why people do it and it's interesting. It's just, uh, I, I just realized that, uh, you know, if you create another world, you can 10x or 100x the power you have in the real world because you now control all the factors. It's like, you know, if, if a big company creates a, a metaverse and shoves down your throat, then they will basically be able to control the gravity of this place uh, to, to make it meet their needs. It's sort of um, total immersion in a machine that, uh, you know, exists to, to just make money rather than this kind of like, free crazy space i imagine it to be and it is you know everyone is moving towards making this as closed off as they can uh which i thought was a, a rather interesting piece of learning for me last year yeah it was it's a bit of a shame uh you, you touched upon that actually like sort of thinking is going to be an open you know, sort of cyberspace like unruly and free like 
you know how people like to describe like web 1.0 right it's like you know you just have like blogs and like people just kind of link to each other's blogs and people write rambling things and you might discover something interesting and now you know web web 2 is kind of like well everybody you know this algorithms kind of curate exactly what to show you at any given point in time and i think everyone's kind of tired of, of that and uh, you know i think sort of moving away from that like how do you how do you kind of begin to understand like um the, the ways in which you know um, payments are controlled in metaverse for example right like like all these things in a sense are also all these the ways in which we interact with this thing we call the metaverse now like this is as you mentioned earlier this like big companies they're trying to tell us like what it should be and what it should look like and how we should even engage and pay pay on it and such so i thought you know one of the big readings and big learnings to go away from 2021 was uh Matty, Matty Ball's like Metaverse Primer and like the, the part on the payments especially like kind of struck me right talking about like Apple and you know rehashing the kind of Apple epic conflict right um, regarding like the sort of 30% take rate and you know even seeing and speaking of 30% take rates wow this is this is insane to me um, would anyone have imagined that Roblox would have been the you know biggest gaming company in the world like by by market cap, I don't know. You know, the biggest equity gaming company in the world. Like the thing is, their take rate on each transaction they do in their marketplace, where you know kids can trade, you know, little digital items, right? Um, seven to thirteen year old kids can trade these things, and yeah, the take rate is thirty percent on each transaction, right? So it's kind of crazy, like how archaic, you know, these kind of sort of standards can be and you know Matthew Ball kind of traces it all the way back to like the days of Atari right that's kind of where the 30% number came from it's kind of really interesting uh, learning and how do you see how do you guys see that evolving moving forward so Florian if, if I hear you correctly this year has dampened your expectations for the beautiful metaverse that you know the more optimistic uh, between us saw as uh, like a ready player one style world where you can do anything, uh, be anything. And uh, that's like open for everyone. Um, like, what are your thoughts now? Yeah. I mean, like I, I was just generally surprised. I thought like a lot of these big movers would kind of live along this kind of more grassroots kind of thing, but I mean, they're actively partially trying to fight it. Right. Um, sometimes because they also control mm. the device you consume it on. Uh, but, but also, you know, you know, sort of like having, you know, legal wars and patent wars, the usual stuff. Um, and I, I think because it's so hyped and so many people are hanging their hat on it, like Facebook, and I'll still call them that, screw that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like they're hanging their hats on it um, so hard that, you know, I think it's, it's just a really vicious battleground right now. Um, way where I see it kind of a bit going like the way that you know the Mickey Mouse thing where like you know Disney is really really hardcore on even the mildest infringement on anything that vaguely looks like a Disney character um, you know even like pursuing fans and stuff and I think we're kind of probably going to get into a similar space where like everyone's wrestling now and, and probably stifling some of that um, of that kind of grassroots part of things mm. what are your thoughts on that Foisy? I think uh, I think just to take a step back, like we're nowhere near the quote unquote metaverse in that companies investing billions of dollars or even hundreds of dollars, whatever it might be, means that we're making this shift into just spending more time in, in digital spaces and understanding the significance of that, right? Lauren, you said 
big companies make a lot of money in virtual spaces. And it's true, right? Like when you create an item in a game or in a virtual space, that item is infinitely replicable. You can make as much as you want and you can sell as many as you want. And when you start suddenly like start spending more time there and being able to buy and sell and transact on your own, and there's that 30% take rate that Ryan was saying, becomes very uh, interesting to big tech companies and smaller tech companies. And I think from that investor perspective, the word metaverse sort of uh, correlates deeply with this concept of commerce and enabling commerce in the metaverse. And I don't think that that's a bad thing personally, but I do sort of appreciate that open and decentralized nature that you were touching on earlier. I think that having people have freedom and the flexibility um, to do whatever they want in a digital space is going to be important. And we're seeing companies like Rec Room that enable someone to create a, any VR game or space that they want to and like quote unquote make a game um, that they can play with their friends or with anyone. But I also don't think that having someone create the rules for you is necessarily a bad thing. And I think that some people are going to be looking for some sort of structure in those digital spaces that a company like Facebook might be able to provide. I, I don't, by the way, I don't uh, think uh, that it's necessarily a bad thing that someone else creates the rules. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is, this is, you know, I, I really appreciate this is not a business view, right? This is sort of like what, you know, when you become a game designer, you are a world creator. This is your passion, right? So <laughs> this is where I'm coming from. And uh, I, I just thought, I just think it's, I always have seen video games and virtual worlds and metaverses and all that as a liberation from the tyranny of the physical, where, um, you know, if, you know, if your life sucks, okay, you can go into another space and things are wonderful. And I think we're, we're kind of making that less likely. That's basically all I'm saying. This, this, this is a really interesting point you touched upon, right? Like liberation from the tyranny of the physical, right? So it's almost, as you said, an escape, right? And I think Nietzsche would have a lot of things to say about that for sure. But um, like, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, um, I, I read this take somewhere, right? But the idea is that the metaverse... A lot of the times, all of the, you know, the the narratives that have the metaverse, right? If you talk about like Snow Crash, for example, right? You know, hero protagonist kind of lives in a little box, right? At least at the very beginning, and even you know, the the world outside is kind of dystopian and ragged up. Even Ready Player One, right? The metaverse is an oasis, is fantastic, but you know, our sort of lead character lives in a slum, right? In in the real world, so in a sense, these metaverses kind of they're, they're there for, you know, they, they showcase some sort of desire to engage in the real world, in the, in the metaverse, right? Um, if, our, if our life sucks. But I'm, I'm, I'm almost thinking, like, is there a kind of way in which we move towards, like, a, a world or kind of real world and use the metaverse as a tool to kind of encourage, you know, learning skills, meaning to people in the real world? Or is that kind of like, forget it, you know, let's kind of go all in into the metaverse, right? I'm just kind of trying to understand this a bit better because like the liberation point, I mean, for me, video games kind of became a way to kind of connect with others, right? But then at the same time, I'm also like not giving up my, my, my real world, so to speak, right? And designing this experience so that like, kind of people can take away things and, you know, kind of reflect reflect on ideas in their in their day-to-day lives as well. Um, one of the experiences I have in mind that I would love to design maybe years from now when Delphi uh, says, hey, what's up? <laughs> but uh, yeah, like... Uh, 
<laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, Ryan, just to bring the conversation up a little bit, because I, I do love this discussion is around like new model shifts and how many we saw in 2021. We saw, you know, PDE. We saw cloud gaming startups being funded, Xbox, Game Pass, and PlayStation, all these new model shifts. And I think the metaverse is one of those really important model shifts that we're going to start seeing. And what I mean by that is when people suddenly get to work in the metaverse, when they get to play and socialize in these digital spaces, I think it brings on a whole uh, variety of business models or consumer experiences that people can choose to monetize or not to monetize. And I think that's a really important change that um, we're going to start seeing. It's not always about like, you know, reality privilege and uh, spending more time in digital spaces versus physical ones. It's, I think, a lot about like why people might want to be doing that and what um, boons and like uh, efficiencies we might get from going into the metaverse and we saw it one example is just like i mean it was heavily memed but the zuck vr work meeting and it was like it's pretty cool right like the idea of presence and um, sound in vr and being able to work with your friends and and your colleagues like that's going to be a pretty big shift i I would love to see like in five years time like you know no cap even if zuck self takes over and we're all wearing like Give Oculus glue to glue to our head and stuff, right? Like um, I'm 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 down to like have like the metacast in 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 VR, man. Imagine like if the recording, like they recorded like where where everyone was in that so-called room. Everyone had their own little box room, right? And we we're all like standing around and having a conversation, and like the the listener would be like walking in, and then you're like so standing there, and you're like, like eavesdropping, right? And then like you know that there's like our three three D avatars that are like kind of talking about like the metaverse. <laughs> we 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 could do a metacast in VR, no? Can we, Nico? Um, I mean, I guess we could. I mean, what Ryan describes, I'm a huge fan. So whenever that stuff exists, I'm down. Sign me up. I'll, I'll make it happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have my quests like lying two meters away from me. So I'm, I'm ready, guys. I don't know about you, but uh, um, let, let me know <laughs> and let's do this. We just need that yeah. Riverside FM uh, exactly. integration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe that no one's done a sort of like, like VR fireside application. I don't know. Maybe the sound quality is not the greatest. I don't know. VR chat is um, not fantastic. Yeah. yeah. The Quest is not the the handiest piece of hardware. Yeah. It's, yeah. But there there are some cool things coming up for the Quest. Like I'm pretty excited about like yeah. Zenith MMO. Right. That looks freaking sick. Like this yeah. cyberpunk JRPG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's like Veil, which is like the shooter. Pretty pretty excited about that one too, yeah. So I think um, the numbers of the quests for this Christmas period were insane. Um, I think the game game sales were already really good. That's I think confirmed stats. But um, I think one learning for me from the last year, like I've I've I've, I've a thousand. I think uh, VR was kind of the underdog and was totally eclipsed away by uh, like everything blockchain and NFTs. Um, probably going to be making a, a serious comeback. Uh, especially compared to expectations, which are, I feel, generally still low uh, over the next years. Um, one of the things I'd, li- I'd like to have a quick discussion about is I feel like uh, we talked about the new business models that are emerging. We talked about people finally making a living playing games. That should happen. Like digital value being created and captured by you know individuals inside these virtual worlds. 
And I feel like um, with the emergence of new business models, I feel like innovation is just going faster and faster. Before we started this recording, we were saying that it almost feels like a full-time job. It's it's insane. And so, no, and, and so my learning is that um, I think that regulators will not be able to catch up to the speed of innovation. And so they're going to be like years behind. I mean, in my country, Belgium, we're still talking about like nuclear plants and power plants and all that shit. You know, we're still talking about that. And meanwhile, you know, there's people, you know, making their money um, playing video games at home. And I'm just, I think that's, that's probably going to become an issue. I, I, I would be keen to see regulation of Roblox uh, first before, you know, they start touching like what, what you know, 20-year-old DGENs are doing in Discord, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just waiting for like, I don't know, labor laws kicking in the Philippines where they're like, hey, actually you're employing these people to play accent. <laughs> that would be devastating. Yeah. Like I think I think the entire job thing it is is it is a heavy kind of weight to put on games I I agree and I think like um so with with play and earn, then there's this notion and I think you know um Varan, you you mentioned this earlier about like how games shouldn't be financial right but I do I do have have this kind of you know like to kind of make this slight differentiation here so I present this where you know there's this idea where games are financialized. So there's a financialization of games, right? So turning games into almost like, you know, uh, ways in which to gather capital and then afterwards deploy the capital into various DeFi protocols and such, right? And get returns of, the, of that capital. And then that's one kind of ways in which games, you know, become, games are built in this, in this you know, Web3 world. But then there's also, I think the, and that's, that's the, you know, we see, you know, infrastructures like guilds kind of popping around, popping up around, like this idea that like you can assign an annual percentage yield to an in-game asset, right? Which is something that could never have been really done before, right? You can't assign, you can't really assign like, well, I'm gonna get a 12% return on uh, my World of Warcraft priest, right? It's not, it's not gonna happen, right? But you can do that on an Axie, for example, in, in a very kind of roundabout way, right? So I think I think that's one one set of things, but there's also like the game five set of things, right? And then you know, game five is a really muddy kind of word, right? So I'm gonna kind of like put put a bit of clarity here. I like to kind of compare it to like poker, right? So poker is a game that involves like finances, right? It involves like some sort of like degree of skill as well. But then it is it is a game. I don't I don't think anyone would kind of dispute that it's a game, right? But the fact is involving some sort of degree of risk, involving some degree of skill, and then having the sort of financial element as part of that game, kind of enhances the gameplay quite a bit because playing poker with you know, no real skin in the game is kind of lame, right? I, I think we can agree on that one. So that's that's kind of I think I think like that's that's the idea of like play and earn games, I, I believe. And then um, this I think that's a much more promising way to kind of begin to see how you know this business model might potentially work, right? As opposed to like sort of seeing games as jobs. Think of you know games as more like digital poker. Yeah. I I like your comparison, Ryan, because it brings to mind. Uh, Nico's point about regulation, right? Poker happens in a casino often, and casinos are almost like a haven to regulation um, to to a certain extent, right? And if you think of P2E, like you're saying, with some financial incentive or reward, what happens to the game 
when it starts being regulated? Will it become like a casino or will it become like a company? And I think that those have very different and divergent implications. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, I, it's interesting because like, there's always been these kind of gray markets that existed for like game assets. So that's one, one side of things. Right? When I thought of like gray markets, I mean like in MMORPGs, like World of Warcraft, you know, the gold farming is the most kind of obvious example. But even like, you know, sort of more shadowy stuff like Diablo 2, you would have, um, you know, a way to trade assets on forums like D2JSP and they'd be like forum gold, right? So there's always kind of ways in which like players were trading kind of things using, using external real world currencies. And it's interesting to see like some games where that's okay. Like Roblox is completely fine that like, you know, a, a 13 year old kid can ask their, their dad for like 200 bucks to buy some Robux and then trade in game and then cash out that Robux later. Right? And then Robux taking 30% every time things trade is fine. But like, you know, some real money transaction stuff can't work. So it's, yeah, it's it's interesting to see like the way in which like different things get targeted based on like how, I mean, regulators might feel in the moment. So yeah, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Well, nowhere did we see more regulation this year than in China. And if you look at public markets and sort of the stock prices, it is very reflective of a more strict regulation policy. I know gaming stocks are down everywhere, but the implications of uh, regulation are very scary for the games industry and almost um, stifling of innovation in a sense. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I, I think you might guys might have much more color than me on like microtransaction regulation in some countries, right? So I recall like um, way back when uh, there were sort of discussions around like labeling the kind of percentage chance of, you know, loot boxes dropping items and such and just all these kind of, you know, models of games and this is becoming like sort of the dominant way in which games monetize and are created kind of gets me fatigued, man. Thinking about like, you know, ads and microtransactions and yeah, selling cosmetics and stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm tired. Let's, <laughs> let's do something cool, you know? Let's like make cool experiences for players. And yeah, I think, I think you know, one, one of the cool, like I think a lot, I mean, I think a lot about like monetization of games. So how do you kind of make games work as a business right and how do you kind of make games like how you first first fund them and second like sustain them and then that involves like studying a history of monetization right so there's like free to play there's like premium you know there's like premium all these things but then i think the first kind of golden age of games was like coin op right they call it right so you know in arcades you put like certain sub coins um, you know, put like a token in and you can play like certain type of games that are purely like skill based and you know, no one's gonna kind of, you know, monetize your attention and such, right? And it's just like in in a way, you know, you're playing for different kind of things. You're playing for skill, you're playing for like, you know, status among your friends and such. So it's kinda interesting to sort of see the ways in which motivations for making games has changed over time. So I'm curious you I mean I just kind of waffled on for like three minutes, but yeah, please uh yeah, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about like the shift in monetization models and the kind of games you're seeing and what you're excited about. Florian, I'll let you take that. Well, I'm, I'm curious to have your thoughts here. Um, yeah, I mean, like I kind of have been, okay, I haven't been part of the coin-op segment, <laughs> but I, I've done the all, basically all the other ones because I moved from like box into free-to-play and from free-to-play into like, you know, play to earn and all that kind of stuff and ads. And I I, I mean, you know, I, I know it sounded kind of bearish from the whole the whole play-to-earn stuff and it being work and whatever, um, but it's more from a societal standpoint. I think from a player, from a user perspective, this is super, super interesting. Um, the, the problem I see there is, you know, in, in the end, 
every game's a business and you're trying to make money. Um, and, and the question is, will you preserve the joy in what you're creating for the user or not? And I, one thing that worries me a bit with sort of what we started to kick off with, at least the sort of the crypto segment of play to earn, is that it's never started from a joy point. It's, it's not even tried. You know, when like free to play became a thing, there was already like the sort of the accusation that, oh, this is just a money grabbing scheme. It's not real games, yada, yada, yada. But like people were still trying to make fun products. With what's currently happening in the play to earn space, I feel that's, that's absolutely secondary. Um, it's more like a coincidence than a design. Um, and I, I kind of hope that we get sort of more, more focus on actually um, making making games with actual players in mind when we use these monetization models, um, because I I think a lot of them are currently mostly played because there's money to be made. They're I, I will just go there and say that they're not very good games if you compare them to any other game you could play. Well, that that's a that's a fair point. Um... To be fair, like sort of Plato and the that I've seen is like really nascent. It's like I think the way I kind of talk about it is like the you're kinda of looking at the acorns, right? And the only kind of acorns that are sort of showing outside, right? But the thing is that there's a lot of like, you know, acorns that are already buried in the soil and they're kinda of growing, but you know, not many people get to kinda of see them. Right? And yeah, I, I mean that's that's really really all I can say for now. But I would say that like, you know, there are many kind of um Acorns that are outside that are kind of rotten, right? And you kind of, yeah. And and you know that's kind of by nature. Like when you have kind of an open thing, anyone can kind of contribute and do whatever they want in the space. Then you're gonna have people who just do, you know, really, really not top tier stuff, right? But the thing is that 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 kind of happens, you know, in in uh, example when you're making just games and you're putting them online, for example, right? Like you you don't you don't have every game be like a rock star hit out of part. It's just that now all these games are kind of getting visibility and um, like no game can kind of be built. Well, some games can be built in a relatively short time, right? But I think like just kind of giving them sort of time to flower and then, you know, sort of having those games come out and say like, hey, you know, like these are what we're, this is what we're building, right? Are you kind of keen to join us in our vision? Join us in our vision. Join us in, like, join in our community and be a part of this, you know, journey building it together over a few years, right? And that's kind of like what we'll see happen a lot more. I think the funding of games in particular, like all of the, I think in my book at least, like from self-surveying, right? All the ways of like funding games kind of kind of suck, right? For like just the average person who wants to make games, right? Or even like the person who's really interested but doesn't have the credentials and such to kind of do it, right? And I think, you know, now, just, if you can convince other people, like, hey, this is something I want to do and I'm excited about it, right? That that potential is there, right? If you want to go out and make your own, this, this world, right? If you want to be kind of crazy about it and say, like, hey, I want to make this EVE Online on Solana blockchain, right? Like, go for it, right? Why not? You know, if you can get people to back you, why not? If you're crazy enough, you can do it 5, 10, 20 years, sure. But, you know, you're going to get it done, right? Because, yeah. So, I think... That's, that's the difference here, right? Um, and the potential here, I guess. It's kind of opening up the door to more people to make cool experiences and have their value captured by them and their community rather than, you know, like a platform or rather than like, you know, someone like Steam or Apple, right? I'll preface what I say with that I'm also critical of 
the financialization and think it's um, a little sad to be honest, but that I'm optimistic that we'll move forward. I, I was chatting with a friend uh, the other day and he was like, yeah, the free to play worked because of, you know, web two whales, but the web three whales, they're like something else, you know? And it goes straight to your point, Florian, that like making games is a business and that there's a whole new subject of consumer and player in web three that is sort of unlocked that wasn't available in web two. And I think the ability to earn and reinvest back in a marketplace sort of changes what it means to be a player, right? Suddenly the floor or the ceiling at which you can spend becomes infinite if you can have the ability to earn in a game. And I think that changes the dynamic of what a game is and how a player can play a game. And and does that make it less of a game or less good of a game for you? Or like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it can make it way more fun. And I think it can increase the longevity of a game if done correctly, right? But it has to have those core loops that Florian is talking about. And it has to be kind of fun. <laughs> Otherwise, people mm-hmm. aren't going to be playing it. And I think, Ryan, you cited this piece on Twitter the other day, but like the metagame piece by uh, Kobe was just a really good encapsulation of like why people find it fun, even if there isn't a game. It's that the metagame or the sort of abstracted layer is just, it's it's like, it's fun, right? Like you're figuring out what's next, you're figuring out why you wanna play a game and you figure out sort of the dynamics of play. And it feels like a game, even though you're playing with real digital money. And often that digital money kind of feels fake because it sits in a rainbow wallet or MetaMask and you're like, I, I don't actually know what 0.3 ETH equals in USD, but I'm still gonna spend it and it's actually like half of my bank account, but whatever. Um, <laughs> So there, there are fun components to it. And there's the ability to earn and the ability to lose, and I think that says something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's playful. Yeah, I feel like um, we as humans are economic animals, and I think like economies and 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 maneuvering within economies is also kind of a game. I've been uh, for my other podcast, we're we're doing a series on investing, and I'm reading a book on art investing right now. And basically, art investing is just a game for billionaires, you know? It's just like, who can spot the talent? And they're all telling each other, you know, like, this is real art. And okay, I'm, I'm, I'm cynical about that stuff. And my, I'm probably too cynical about that stuff. You, 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 forgot, you forgot that it's also a way to actually invite interesting people to your parties. Also, exactly. Yeah, it's true. It's, <laughs> it's like a social slash economical game of uh, social, like virtue signaling and, and all that stuff. Anyway, and I've, I feel <laughs> reading that, I was like, hey... This reminds me of what I see right now in the gaming space. Um, and it's just, you know, I think people will, are economic animals and we want a virtue signal. And I think, you know, what happens, what, what's happening now is just showing that, like allowing more people to be able to do that. And that's that's what we see. And that's why we see so many people jump in. I, I wanted to touch on a point of um, Ryan's very good comparisons to, what was it, acorns? You know, you have shitty acorns, you have acorns in the ground and good acorns. Please don't judge all the acorns for the shitty acorns. Anyway, I can attest that like as a VC, as a gaming VC, I have seen a very, very, very large number of acorns being planted or um, I mean, let, let's keep going with this. Um, asking me to fertilize the soil uh, around the acorn that is being planted in the floor. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there is a... 
<laughs> okay. What the last of your tokenomics expertise? Anyway, I can just say that uh, expect a very, very, very large number of oaks. Oh, oaks! Yeah, that sounds too solid. I mean, like just games. Let's call them games. Okay, saplings. Exactly, yeah. saplings. We'll, we'll see a lot of bushes, um, and there's going to be some oaks there. But anyway, so. Lots of teams are, let's go back, lots of teams are building uh, games, crypto games, saw the opportunity. Um, and like, we're if you think there's a lot of crypto games right now, just you wait, next year it's going to be insane. And the year after, it's probably going to be even worse because so many people started building this stuff. It's um, the bar, the bar they set, yeah. The bar that we see. Yeah, I mean, and the, well, I would say that the vast majority of those are going to fail miserably. Um, which is already the case, I think, with games naturally. And I think, I feel like in this case, it's going to be even worse, um, especially once, you know, the risk appetite of people wanting to invest this in this is satisfied in a way, right? Because there's like a limited budget you can put into games and at some certain point, the money's gone and then you're going to be very critical for, um, you know, the new games that pop up, what NFTs you're going to buy. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's uh, that's my learning and my my prediction. Yeah, it it could also be the case that the you know risk supply continues to grow, right? I mean, uh, one more comment on that. Um, you uh, you guys might be familiar with the concept of um home money or house money. It is seen when um, uh, gamblers, for example, win a lot of money. The money that they gained, they look at it differently, and they're like way less uh, or uh, way less risk averse in spending it. Yep. And I think that's probably also what we're seeing in the whole NFT space in general, where the numbers are through the roof and it's just people, you know, who who bought a bunch of ETH at, let's say, you know, 20, 20, $30 and are now like, what the hell, I'm rich. Um, but I spend all of my time in my mother's basement playing video games. So what can I spend this on? Oh, look, an, a monkey. That's a cute monkey. I'm going to buy it. It looks bored because I'm bored. Anyway, um, I think that's what we're seeing right now. That's what I learned. And I, I honestly feel like this, I'm, I'm a crypto believer. I think this stuff is not going anywhere. So we're probably going to see more of that moving forward. I was going to say, I think it's important to be skeptical too, right? Oh, the, we saw Ubisoft and Triple A's attempted entry into it and how large subset of people were actually not okay mm. with it and not okay with purchasing NFTs and not okay with PDE. And I think it's important, you know, as we think about learnings to, to ground ourselves and why PDE and blockchain games were such a big narrative of 2021, but also that there's a lot of other stuff that happened like IDFA and content fortresses. And, you know, there were a lot of winners like Roblox and a lot of losers like Zynga. And, you know, there's still a lot happening in the gaming space, but that right now there's a lot of attention on blockchain games for that reason that you're citing Nico's, the potential to make money, the potential that these games are going to be fun. And that feels exciting, but there's a whole s subsection that's much larger in games that still exists and will continue to exist for a little while. At least that's what I think. <laughs> Fozy, um, I think Manu is going to thank you for bringing up IDFA. This is stuff that like wasn't <laughs> in front of my head, but it's something important that happened uh, during this year. And uh, it's good, good that we at least mentioned it. <laughs> I, th I think for quite a while, I feel like Web 2 and Web 3 games are going like, to kind of coexist. Yeah. For, for quite a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely will be time to touch on it some more and its implications. But uh, Manu, shout out to you. This That one's for you. 
There you go, my. <laughs> um, by the way, shout out, um, well, not, not really a shout out, but uh, Fauzi mentioned, um, you know, Ubisoft and the reaction of gamers to these NFTs and blockchain games. Um, next week, Wednesday or Tuesday, actually, uh, we're we've uh, it's already it's already recorded i i recorded the crypto corner on exactly that like why gamers hate nfts and games so much and all the backlash so um yeah you can always listen to that um yeah with that i see we're reaching the hour mark and yeah i want to keep things below an hour or i mean i i know gamers and and their um attention spans are short uh or at least mine is anyway um yeah that was it for today ryan Fozy and Florian, thank you so much for joining. Um, yeah, love to hear. Uh, yeah, loved having your learnings and insights. It was really good, and um, yeah, loved having you on. Um, yeah, I look forward to having all of you on again, moving forward in in some of the next episodes. Um, yeah, so um, the listener, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this first um, episode of the year. Next episode will probably be more standard to where we go through a list of normal topics. Um, I think you can find most of us, Ryan and, and Fozy, are, are hanging around on Twitter. Florian, he's, he's a bit more of a boomer, so he, he's on LinkedIn still, hanging out there. What is that? Do you have Twitter? No, I'm actually I, I like I'm, I'm not a boomer. Thank you very much. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> but it's, it's, you're, you're mentally a boomer, man. <laughs> no, no, I'm like, uh, I've just disowned from all social media. It was the best thing I ever did. That's fair. That's fair. And then he's now working on the kind of social media company for games, um, for gamers. But uh, yeah, because I can right. focus all the attention I've gained from exiting other social media to actually making this better. Ah, okay, that's a good one. All right, cool. Well, uh, listener, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to join our discussion, you haven't already joined our Discord, please do so. Uh, with that, the Metacast is out, and we look forward to speaking to you next Wednesday when we discuss blockchain gamers and and their hate for each other. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.